let's just step back and and look at what it's saying about God when we say, I would rather be safe than sorry. What it's saying about God is that He's just giving us, He's started us on this journey and just giving us zero roadmap. You know, like, you know, kicking somebody out in the middle of the country and going, good luck, I hope you make it back home, okay. Like, like, what is that saying about God? What is that saying about the character of God? That would send his literal son to die for you, but he won't tell you what's right and wrong? Wow. It's, it's such a wrong picture of who God is. He's given us everything that we need to know. This isn't a mystery. We're not out here without clues, just trying to figure it out, hoping that we will somehow, hopefully, be safe and not sorry. Welcome to the Not Ashamed podcast, where we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're here to help you rebuild your theology in light of God's grace, love, and the true meaning of holiness. The topic for this month is, what does it look like to distort the gospel with fear and shame? We are joined by our special guest, Tracy Bowen. Tracy, it is so good to have you, and you are a fellow Brian Holiness volunteer, so I am really excited to get to introduce you to our audience. So, if you don't mind, to tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you come from, and yeah. So, I was born and raised in the mountains of South Carolina, and so that's where you're hearing that southern accent uh, from. But I currently live in Florida with my husband, and we help to uh, lead a church down here. I have five boys, and so I need lots and lots of prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Some exciting news. My oldest son just got engaged. Y'all are the first people I've actually told that to. Oh, that's so awesome. Congrats to him. I'm finally getting a daughter after all of these years. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, ministry and boys, that, that is my life right there. Ministry. About how many years have you been in ministry? So 2014, so eight years. I mean, my husband uh, was a pastor's son. I'm a pastor's granddaughter. So we were raised in church and we've been volunteers in church since basically we were little infant children but um <laughs> seriously the very first time I ever sang in church they they put a chair behind the the pulpit so that I could see over it to be able to sing my little special song so I've been volunteering in church since I was a little little child but ministry as a vocation a full-time vocation where we've dedicated all of our time and effort and energy that's been since 2014 so eight years. Awesome. Well, thank you for all you do for the kingdom. It is appreciated. I know you've helped me and so many others through Berean um, and that alone. And of course you work full-time somewhere else. So thank you. So for our, what was that? I said ministry is definitely full-time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People don't schedule their crisis for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) So for our little opener, um, this is another panel discussion. So we are joined again by Bethany and Andrew and all, so Bethany, Andrew, um, and then me, and then you, Tracy, we come from very different church groups, church groups that would not even fellowship each other. So I thought it would be fun to open with just a little bit of 
quick comparison, just not getting into, you know, what's right or wrong about this or that, but just the differences and similarities between our groups. Um, and I want to do this especially because Brian Holiness is followed, you know, by all these different movements and many more, including like Independent Fundamental Baptists and the Branhamites and Seventh-day Adventists and, and even more. Um, and people, it's so funny. And Tracy, you know this because you're a volunteer. They look at our page and they always think we're talking about their little tiny sect of that movement. Um, like we just called out their pastor by name when we said something very general. Um, so yeah, I, w- I really want to help people understand that there are different movements that we don't even fellowship each other, but we have so much in common. Um, so yeah, so I'm coming from a holiness, independent Trinitarian holiness, Pentecostal, uh, background. Um, and then Tracy, you are from the CHM is kind of the abbreviation, but that stands for conservative holiness movement. Can you just give us the the quick what what is the conservative holiness movement and what are those core doctrines that kind of set you apart? So I think if we're talking about differences, the primary difference between conservative holiness movement and your background, for instance, would be that we did not speak in tongues. And it wasn't that they didn't believe in moving of the spirit in the services. We have the shouting. We have the, you know people running around with uh, trash cans on their head. And just, I mean, I could give y'all some great stories right here of things I've seen, but we do, they do believe in the move of the spirit in services. It's just, they do not believe in speaking of tongues. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a topic that was pretty much ignored. Like they didn't really talk about the passages that, that speak of tongues. Mm-hmm. When they did, it was very just kind of dismissive, and um, they used the the language around it that this was um, anytime that you hear tongues in the Bible, it's they're talking that people can hear in their own language. Um, they didn't believe in a heavenly language, and okay. so that would be the primary difference between your belief and the way that I uh, the way that I was raised. Mm-hmm. The Standards that you've talked about from your background, very similar to the standards that I've talked about from my background and some of the things that you've seen in your services. And as far as like people, you know, moves of the spirit, we've seen those same things, just minus the tongues. So, okay. But then also, isn't it still pretty common for people to believe in a second work? That is the core doctrine of conservative holiness uh, movement that sets them apart from every other belief system. They believe in two works of grace, salvation and sanctification. And sanctification, they believe, is an instantaneous work. And when it happens, the the root of sin, um, the old man, I could sit here and list yeah. all the things that they call it but they believe that it is removed and they do believe in Christian perfection. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah. So for our listeners, very short of this, I could go on about the history of the movements for hours. I won't. The very short abbreviation is that the conservative holiness movement in in a way came first. I know that's evolved and changed and split with the Nazarenes and all this. Right. Um, but that that came first 
And then came Pentecostalism around the year 1901. And that's when Parham's like, no, you don't have, because they were calling the second blessing being filled with the spirit. And Parham's like, no, you don't have being, you're not filled with the spirit. That was the anointing that abideth. And this is the real spirit when you get the tongue. So then we have the holiness Pentecostals and they basically split with the conservative holiness way back then. Um, yeah. And so then my group, you have a lot of similarities, but then we had the speaking in tongues and you had to speak in tongues to receive the spirit, but you still had uh, two definite works. Um, and then still to this day, and some in my group have three definite works. So you're saved, then you're perfected, then you're filled with the spirit with the speaking in tongues. So, and then it's these movements split again, and that's where we have the oneness Pentecostals. So, Andrew, do you mind to share what's different about the oneness Pentecostals versus holiness Pentecostals? Right. So, um, for the oneness Pentecostals, we kind of uh, have our core doctrine wrapped around this uh, idea that uh, knowing the person of God as like a singular entity, right? And, and like referencing him as a singular entity uh, ties into um, modalism, right? Um, they they believe that um, the, the Trinitarian aspects of God are just different modes of God rather than like distinct persons. And so they believe that if you misunderstand this, that uh, it somehow disengages or uncouples God's salvific ability or supernatural ability in your life. And so um, he can't really operate in your life unless you understand this. And it has to emerge in the way that you preach, um, in your doctrinal tense, the way you baptize. It's like one of our most essential doctrines. If you baptize in the titles, that was like an absolute no-no. Um, and so we'd often had this practice of rebaptizing people if they were baptized in the titles, because that was knowing God was this singular entity was so significant that if not, you weren't you weren't saved and God couldn't do anything in your life. Wow. Um, Bethany, do you mind? <laughs> you probably don't want to do this, but do you okay. mind giving us the very quick version of why is Acts 238 so big? to one is Pentecostals like what is that about I wish I could give like the perfect definition that would make it make sense to everyone but the belief in UPCI and oneness groups is that there are three steps to salvation and that is repenting then being baptized in Jesus name not in the titles and then that baptism is supposed to be what erases your sins and then you would get filled with the infilling of the spirit which would only be done only be recognized through speaking in tongues. And then after that, you were saved, but you had to mature as a Christian. And as you matured as a Christian, you would step into all the holiness qualifications and standards. And without those, you were not a mature and obedient, saved individual. But synopsis so version, three steps plus a fourth step as well. Okay. And so would you guys have seen the Trinitarian churches who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit? Um, would you have seen us as Christians? Nope. Absolutely not, no. Nope. You you would be misguided. You would have the right ideas. And we would pray very much for your souls. But 
No, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be saved in the same way. The phrasing we used in our church was that um, we would pray that people would come to uh, a, a knowledge, a closer knowledge of the truth. So, like they have a part of the truth, just if they were any aspect of Christianity. But we kind of like were sad if they didn't have full truth, which was um, the and and the um, you know the work of uh, the Holy Ghost operating, being signified by tongues. So if you didn't have that, then you didn't have full truth. Hmm. Wow. So thanks for sharing. Um, but besides that, we still had all the holiness standards, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Everyone here, I think we all had this. Women must wear skirts, um, uncut hair, no makeup, no jewelry, no TV. Um, Tracy, did you see some of the must have a full shoe can't have sandals oh my goodness oh my goodness I still remember the very first pair of sandals I ever bought I was 21 years old and I just was I clearly just went off the rails yeah wow yes went off the rails and bought me a pair of sandals I still remember every detail of those shoes (laughs) (laughs) that they're like it's so crazy like you guys don't understand this was like monumental okay so right there is no there was there was no open-toed shoes that there was preaching against that yeah see I heard about that but we didn't really have that in our particular church um but we yeah we had a lot of other stuff and I I attended quite a few churches actually growing up moving around this kind of thing um so I've seen it in different regions of the country but yeah yeah, besides that, a lot of similarities. Um, uh, of course, no wedding rings. Did everyone have no wedding rings? I feel like that goes back and forth. So, wedding rings were not allowed when I was little in the first church my family went to. Or No, they were allowed. They eventually were allowed right before my parents got engaged and married. And there was a lot of controversy over the size of my mother's ring. Um, but rings were always allowed in... in my positions and realms but that was the only jewelry that was allowed nothing else and what about facial hair absolutely not Uh, and I have a a husband who has a nice (laughs) yes you do uh what about the CHM no facial hair for the CHM they preached against that nice so what we really want to dive into today we're not going to be discussing as much about are the standards biblical but we really want to talk about how they're being enforced um so choosing to personally follow a particular standard like having long hair or choosing to wear skirts there is nothing wrong with that absolutely nothing wrong with that and we're not trying to talk anyone into you know doing something you don't want to do or you feel like goes against your personal convictions and because there's just even if it's not taught in the bible if you want to, you know, only wear skirts, go for it. Like there's, there's just nothing wrong with that. I don't want to keep repeating myself. Um, <laughs> so our, that's not our purpose. Um, as far as trying to talk someone out of how you want to live or how you feel honors God, but we do want to talk about how are these extra biblical standards being enforced on other believers because what I have seen in my work with Berean, and it's so disturbing every time I see it, is so much 
fear tactics and so much shaming um, instead of, yeah, because it's, I'm trying not to get ahead, but basically when people don't see the standards in the Bible and when they have questions or when they're just like, you know, I don't feel like that's biblical, so I'm going to start um, a living a little bit differently and then you just see this crackdown of fear tactics and shaming and ostracism. How do you say that word? Ostracize is, is the other way you say it. Um, but we see all that. And wow, I am just seeing that break people's faith and turn them away from Christ. And it is so, it's so disturbing. And so we talk a lot on Brian Holiness about the importance of a grace-filled gospel um, and not distorting the gospel with shame and fear. So, of course, to my holiness friends and in these other groups, they're like, what are you talking about distorting the gospel with grace and fear? Okay, or not with grace and fear, <laughs> with shame and fear. Um, well, let's dive into that. Let's let's flesh that out a little more today and, and see what does that look like when this takes place. Um, so where we're going to start uh, with you, Tracy is can you share with us what is the biblical gospel just the quick overview what's the gospel supposed to look like and sound like well the gospel just simply means good news right and so what is the good news um the good news is that jesus came and sacrificed himself on our behalf so that we could be in right relationship with God. That's that's the good news. That is the biblical gospel. That's it right there. <laughs> that simple. It, it really is. And we kind of, we overcomplicate for sure. <laughs> Definitely overcomplicate. And we've added over time just all of these things, right? And we've we've turned the gospel into a to-do list. The biblical gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a way to be in right relationship with God. We can be forgiven of sins. That's that's it. It's really that simple. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and so what I because I know I have we have some listeners who, when they're hearing that we're going to kind of be, we're going to be talking about the bad aspects of fear. And I know we have some listeners who are going to immediately think, well, fear is a good thing. And the Bible talks about fearing the Lord. Um, so Tracy, what is the difference between fearing the Lord? For example, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the difference between that healthy fear and the toxic crippling fear that we're going to be talking about? So I think healthy fear is reverence. It's a right understanding of who God is, right? Um, we need to understand who he is. He is God. <laughs> we do need to reverence that he's, he, he's, he's above us and we look to him for salvation and help and hope. He is, he's the one who can give us all of those things, right? He's God. Um, only God could do that, right? And so that does put him in a standing in his own category above us. And we do need to understand his placement and we need to reverence that. But it's not a, the unhealthy comes in when you are terrified that unless I get this checklist right here, 
And I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the checklist that is not always fully in agreement with scripture. It's things that have been added to. And so you're in your mind, you're, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And, and so I'll just share with you an example. I remember when I was younger, I heard a, a preacher in a message share that, uh, having television was wrong and and that was normal teaching in our circles you did not have a television but he went on to say that if you even glanced at a television when you were walking by the electronic section in Walmart that you were committing sin and so of course we believe that you could lose your salvation in the conservative holiness movement right and so that very means- easily if I'm walking by the electronic section in Walmart and I glance over and I was just a young girl when I heard this and, you know, young kids, you're automatically, your attention is going wherever the sound and everything is, right? And so I was terrified to walk through Walmart because I knew that if I glanced at the electronic section, I was going to lose my salvation. And I just had horrible visions of me like dying in a car accident on the way home from Walmart and burning in hell for the rest of my life. And that sounds ridiculous to some people who weren't raised in the circles and the teaching that I was. But in, in, in my mind, it was a perfectly rational thing because I've told, I've been told, right, this is a sin. And if you lose your salvation, you know, I just so, and so that is a terrifying way to live. It's terrifying to think that you can't even walk through a store and, and without losing your salvation. That's unhealthy. It's a misunderstanding of, of who God is. It's a misunderstanding of what scripture is saying. And, and when you're adding all of these things in that, that don't necessarily even have scriptural backing, um, it's a total, it's totally taking things out of context and, and adding kind of our thing to it. And it puts you in this, a terror, not a reverence. Healthy is reverence. Unhealthy is terror. There you have it. Reverence and terror. That's the difference. Yeah. One is, good, one is not good. <laughs> uh, Andrew and Bethany, before we go to the next question, do you have any uh, thoughts on that reverence versus terror? I relate to it so much. So I grew up incredibly sheltered it, and I mean it in the best way. I had wonderful parents, but I was the oldest of three girls. We were home. Well, I went to a private school in elementary school that was run by a neighboring Pentecostal church. So same beliefs. We went to a very conservative church where my parents worked in ministry. And then we, almost all of our family believed the same thing. So everywhere I went, everyone I surrounded myself with, everyone believed the same thing. So I was very sheltered. And then I would go out and I would see these different things. Like in Walmart, I would see someone, I remember this so vividly. I was probably like seven or eight. And I saw a woman with a pink mohawk hair. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world that she had hot pink mohawk hair. And I just remember pointing out, I was with my grandma and pointing it out and saying, oh my gosh, her hair is the coolest thing. I really want a hot pink mohawk hair too. And I was told that wanting that I was disappointing God and making him so sad. And I lived with the fear for almost most of my childhood, teenage years, adult years, even built upon concepts like that. I was so terrified that I was disappointing God, that I was making him sad. I believed 
up through adulthood that the things I thought inside my head when I couldn't perfectly understand what was being told when I had additional questions because the answers didn't make sense to me, I believed that God saw the inside of my heart and he saw that I didn't perfectly agree with everyone else. So therefore I was an abomination because I didn't understand. And I was making God sad. And that is the absolute fear and shame I grew up with thinking I, I have to try harder and do more. And maybe if I try harder or do more, the peace and the understanding will come to me because that's what I was taught. If you don't agree, you just submit and do what you're told and then you'll get that perfect peace and an understanding will come and it'll click, but it wouldn't come and click no matter how hard I tried to submit and obey and understand. So I lived with the absolute terror that God was disgusted with me and I was an abomination and I was terrible because I thought pink hair was cool or I didn't perfectly understand why I couldn't wear a sparkly necklace, but I could wear a sparkly headband. And that just kind of culminated over my entire life. So I completely understand the terror versus reverence. It had nothing to do with respecting God. It had everything to do with, oh God, please don't be mad at me. Please don't look at me that way. I'm a, I must be terrible. And wow. I, I truly thought I was. Forever. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I can so, go ahead. Let me just say right there that when you are looking at everybody around you and they're saying exactly what you just shared, Bethany, of, you know, if you're just going to submit and eventually it's going to, it's going to make sense. Right. And it never did. And so it's what's wrong with me. What is That's, wrong with me? I, everybody yeah. else seems to be getting it. I'm not getting it. What's wrong with me? And it leads to um, like a very deep um, self hatred almost because you're like, why can't I get everybody else is getting it? What's wrong with me? I'm not getting it. And it really messes with your head. It really does. And we could go on and on for a whole other conversation and experiences that have come from that. But I, I still struggle with it because I thought it was a me problem. I'm not doing this right. I'm not understanding right. And it doesn't matter. I, I would go as far as I could and try as hard as possible and push and push and push just to try and find that, that peace and understanding that I was promised I would get with blind obedience and it, it wouldn't come. Wow. Um, Tracy, our next question um, springboards right off of that because that that is living in shame in a state of toxic shame when you feel like you're the problem God's disappointed with you God's you know reading your thoughts and mad because you're not desiring the right things and um, that is living in toxic shame um, but again I, there are verses in the Bible that talk about shame in sort of a positive sense so I think there's a there's such a thing as healthy shame, um, at least in this sense. First uh, Peter three sixteen, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So we're talking about someone who falsely accuses us as Christians, and then they're put to shame because there's nothing, you know, true to their accusation. So, um, so being ashamed of a wrong deed, basically. Um, but Tracy, what is the difference between that, 
that kind of shame that can be good, you know, when we're ashamed of a legitimately evil thing that we've done um, versus the toxic crippling shame uh, that we were just discussing. So I think that the main difference would be a healthy perspective would be I've done something wrong. An unhealthy perspective would be I am wrong. There's no hope for me. I've done something wrong, which is something that can be corrected, right? But I am wrong. Like something is just unnaturally wrong with me. Everybody else is getting it. I'm not getting it. That's two completely different things. When we've done something wrong, we do need to recognize that. We do need to feel that sense of, but a feeling of that I'm wrong. I'm wrong inside, totally irreparably wrong. That's unhealthy. Yeah. So doing versus being, I've done versus yeah the doing versus being if you feel I know in my in my situation I just firmly came to the conclusion that God did not love me and I believed that with every fiber of my being I believed it and at one point in my life when we left the church that that I grew up in I would have been perfectly happy to never go to church again because I just thought I was hopeless I was so irreparably broken inside for whatever reason. I didn't even understand why, because I was trying. I was, I'd done everything I could possibly do, but I just didn't understand it. But you know, no hope for me, right? But at that time, we had two, we had our oldest two, uh, our first two boys. And I wanted to be in church for their sake, because I thought mm. if they could know God, if they could be in relationship with him. I wanted that for them, right? Because I wanted that for me. That was, that was, it was desired, right? And so maybe God could love them. He couldn't love me, but maybe he could love them. And if he could love them, I wanted them to be loved by God because we want that, right? That's the thing that's most desired. So I would have never went back to church again of, of my own, um, on my, for my own sake, because I thought I was hopeless, I just thought there may be a possibility that he could maybe love my kids. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Um, so we're going to move on to our discussion questions, and this is going to be for everyone. So, Andrew, we'll, we'll start with you. In your own experience, was the gospel ever distorted with fear and shame? Um, and if so, how did that impact you? Absolutely. So uh, growing up, um, I think the idea that in our churches, at least in Pentecost, UPC, um, there's they, they believe that we're so accustomed with what the gospel, quote unquote, is that they never feel the need to reiterate it to us. And so it, it's just our focus becomes completely shifted on teaching what we can or cannot do and going back to that like bullet list of things that are appropriate inappropriate approved not approved and so when i was growing up um i never really saw god in the teachings that they gave me in in a youth group um called a career later that showed that god loved me and that i was 
repairable, you know, as you had suggested, Tracy, you know, not being feeling that you could be repaired, that you were irredeemable as an individual and not your actions. And so there was this analogy that kind of stuck with me for a long time that my um, youth pastor used early on that suggested that our standards, which was kind of the um, the indicator or the gauge of uh, your salvation, was that if we were to imagine ourselves as like a cup and the center of like a little end table, and the closer you are to the center is a representation of how close you are to God and that like our standards were that buffer between you and the edge of the table, right? So that if you started edging further and further away from the center, you were in danger of falling off this table, right? And uh, that kind of instilled into me the fear that we talked about uh, just a while ago, uh, not a healthy fear as in reverence of God, but it was more a fear of, am I too close to the edge with this particular behavior? And and the worst part of it was that um, all those behaviors, that bullet list, we I wish it were cut and clear. I wish there was a definitive 250 point bullet list that I could follow. But what it ended up being was it was it was always undefined. There was always bits and pieces in between the cracks that you were missing, you know, and someone would always point it out to you as something came out. And so it just led me to live out much of my youth and much of my young adult life, constantly seeking out those nooks and crannies of sin that I was missing. And uh, what it made me realize is I was living in this constant fear of being terrified of punishment, of shame, of guilt, and being outside of it now, I realize how much God really wanted me to live in peace and joy and love and, and experiencing what grace really is, what his sacrifice on the cross really did for us. So sorry if I kind of went a little too far there um, on time, but. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So Bethany, in your experience, was the gospel ever distorted with fear and shame how did that impact you? You've already shared a little bit. So just um, anything you want to add to that. And then as you let's go ahead and move to our next question, too, as we're working through this, as you've come to understand just how grace filled the gospel is, just how much God loves you. How has that impacted you? Just a little bit of compare and contrast how you used to see God versus how you're coming to understand him now. So I obviously have had a lot of experience with fear and shame and a lot of residual effects from it. I feel like a lot as a kid and especially as a teenager, I focused so much on what people were expecting of me, especially being a preacher's kid. There was a lot of pressure to appear a very particular way and fulfill a certain role. And my focus wasn't the gospel. My focus was never on God. And I continually say, and I, this is probably my own fault, but until I was an adult, I really didn't even understand who God was or what he did for me or what I meant to him. I lived most of my life believing that because I just couldn't get it just right. And I couldn't make it perfectly clear I could fake it till I make it. I could put on a show and I spent most of my life putting on that show, but I knew it wasn't real. And so I struggled with that internal battle for so long. 
And to get to a super vulnerable part that I share with no one, um, as an adult, I was clinically diagnosed with depression. I had some lovely life attempts happen in my life and through my transition. And um, God really gave me two very big rocks in my life, which are getting emotional now. Um, I have a great husband and a daughter who pulled me out of so many things and they helped me see what, what God was like and what love was really like, because I saw it in them and they just pushed me to learn and to study. And I'm going to be a hot mess now. (laughs) Um, but it was through them that I really was able to see so much and learn so much. And I dug into the word word and I realized that it has nothing to do with me because I'm never going to get it right ever. And so it's been like a 360 experience and I know I'm going to butcher anything I try and say, but, um, yeah, I saw love through actual humans, through my husband, especially And they led me to a God who I could meet and who I could connect with and who I could learn reverence. Really, that's a great word for, because I learned that I was, I was made not to be capable on my own and that nothing I would do would ever be enough or be good enough. And I learned a big lesson that it was God's spirit working inside of me that would help me see and help me learn not a rule book given to me, not qualifications that I had to line up with. When I met with him and I leaned on him and I studied his word, that is when I was able to really connect and to see and things started clicking and a weight came off of me because I learned so much through him and through his spirit working and moving and through me and Give me a minute to compose myself. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. Um, wow, I think so many people can relate to that. I know I can relate to so much of that. Um, and again, just working with Brian, we see these messages, you know, Tracy helps us every day, probably very very similar um so yeah thank you for sharing Tracy uh you've already started to share but again just building off what you've already said can you tell us a little bit more about how you used to view God how um how you've seen you know the gospel distorted by shame and fear how that got in the way of your understanding the gospel and then how you see the gospel now and how how far God has brought you in your understanding of his genuine good news. So I've already shared about how I felt completely unlovable, right? And that there was there was no hope for me. I just genuinely felt there was no hope for me. And when we left the church that I grew up in, which my grandfather was the pastor of, so it was a really big deal whenever, whenever we left, um, I actually got physically sick every time we pulled into the parking lot, like wanted to throw up physically sick, that going to church did that to me. 
And I just, I, I told my husband, I just can't do this anymore. I look back on it now and I actually realized I was probably on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I didn't know it at the time because I wouldn't have had any of the understanding or language to be able to, um, to even fully, because we don't talk about mental health issues within that movement. You just need to pray more. You just need to believe more. You just need to. So I didn't even know everything that was going on within my own mind, but I was, I'm pretty sure on the close, uh, just this close to a nervous breakdown whenever we left. And whenever we started going to another church again, I shared, I, I would have been happy to never go anywhere ever again. I only went for the sake of my voice because I thought there could be potential for them to have a relationship with God. And if they could have that, I wanted that for them. And so the church that we started attending, the pastor's wife, she took me under her wing and she, I think she took me as a project, <laughs> project Tracy. And she just loved me. She just loved me. I would get letters in the mail. We lived in the same city, but I would get letters in the mail where she would share pieces of her journal and things that she was learning about God and about the character of God. And she just won me over with her love and her care for me. And I had actually uh, been carrying a lot of secrets because there was some not good things that was going on in the background of the church that I was in also and things that had happened to me in my life. And at one point, uh, I started to share some things, things that I had not told anyone before. Even my husband did not know. And her response to all of the yucky that I was throwing out there was just to love me. And I thought to myself, if she can know this about me and still love me, maybe there's a chance that God could love me too. And that was the first time that I had any inkling or thought there was potential. God could love me. I could be loved by God. And so when I share my story, I, I tell people she literally loved me to Jesus because I saw in her just a glimpse of the potential of what could happen. And it opened a door for me that totally changed totally changed my perspective. And of course, I had to dig deep and start dealing with some of that stuff that I had never dealt with before. And I had to, had to, in a lot of ways, give myself just a blank slate of everything that I had thought up to that point about who God was and just relearn learn for the first time, really, not relearn, learn for the first time who he really is and what he's about. And it's so beautiful that I went on to dedicate my life to it. It's literally why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. We are in ministry. And I, who would have imagined that a girl who felt like God couldn't even love me would be telling people Jesus loves you as yeah it's just and our marriage was a mess from all of the all of the stuff that was going on and Jesus healed that and oh my goodness he's just so good and kind and just got to see just a totally different perspective of who who he is and at that time like I shared earlier we just had two boys 
And we've went on to have three more boys. And I think, oh my goodness, what if, what would have, what would have happened if we would have just walked away from everything then, because I was too broken to be in a relationship with anybody, you know, God or, or a man, you know, I was, I was a mess, but look at, look at what I would have missed out on, um, three more boys that are just so beautiful. My husband and I've been married 30 years this summer, 30 years, y'all. And, um, and we get to do what we get to do together. Jesus is just so good. He's just so good. And I think, I don't know when, when you're looking at, at healthy versus unhealthy in churches and you're, and you're trying to figure out what's a really good sign of if it's a healthy church or an unhealthy church, um, look at, look at what they do for people. Look at what they do for their community. That'll give you a really good indication of where you're in a healthy, healthy church or an unhealthy yeah. Jesus loves people, y'all. He loves people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And wow, I could relate so much to what everyone said. Um, but especially about how people love us to Jesus. That that has been so real in my life. And I'll give uh, credit to my husband as well, because he's he's really been just, uh, you know, just there and he stays there. And I, you know, would maybe I say something wrong or do something wrong. And instead of lashing out, he shows love. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if God's like that. Um, yeah. And the long story short, it's just the last few years of, you know, it's so funny. People will comment, people that used to know me when I was very involved in the independent Holiness Pentecostal movement. Um, and sometimes those people will comment and say things like, just, you know, look in the mirror and see how far you've come. And they mean it in the most derogatory sense, right? Because, well, <laughs> that's actually, we're going to, we're going to get into this more, but that's, you know, that fear and shame, like, look at you, look where you're at. And, and it's meant in the most, like, to strike fear in your heart and get you back into the one true church or whatnot. And I actually, I'm just, but I read that and I'm like, wow, look how far God's brought me. <laughs> it's just like, I read it totally backwards than how it was intended. And just to see how God has helped me to realize that he really loves me. And even, even not even just with the standards, but even with um, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, Bible study, those are things I used to have um, such a mind frame, like I have to do this or God will be mad at me. And uh, just changing that, uh, just slowly, you know, being discipled in the church that I'm at now um, and being in the Bible study groups and having mentorship and community groups and all this uh, love poured into me that I had an experience like this before. Um, I'm starting to understand, like, it's not about you have to pray every day or else you might go to hell when you if, if you were to die. Um, cause that really is, um, was my mindset before, but now it's like, I get to talk to my father today and it's a totally different uh, approach and it's just so much more refreshing. And, you know, my whole life I was saved as a little kid, my whole life. If you'd asked me if I love God, I would always say I love God, but it's like, now I actually, I like God, <laughs> like, like <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, it's so, so good. So we have got to, and again, I think people are are hearing this, and um, I'm I know people are, are resonating with 
with your stories and your experiences. Um, but my question, what I want to delve into for most of the rest of this episode is how does it get to the place that we have such a fear and shame distortion of the gospel? Like, what are the kinds of things that we're saying? And this goes for, you know, any Christian, any denomination. None of us want to distort the gospel for someone else in the way that we present and treat them. Um, so let's talk about what we have seen, like just getting down to the practical of what what is causing these mentalities of toxic shame, toxic fear. Um, and I, like I've already said earlier, I 100% believe a lot of it comes in because, you know, I fellowship a lot of different denominations. I have friends in so many different denominations. And where this toxic shame and toxic a fear come up more than anywhere else, all these super hyper-fundamentalist churches, you know, the more strict, typically, the more fear and shame. Um, so I really want to talk about what what kind of stuff we have to stop saying and start avoiding and being more careful of. Um, and I asked our our audience on Instagram, I asked them what kind of sayings did they think distort the gospel with fear and shame? And actually, our Instagram following is over half of them are currently attendees in these stricter churches. And I was pleasantly surprised it was a lot of members, current members, who were answering. And so I'm so grateful to see that God is helping people understand <laughs> that we've got to stop saying this stuff and be more careful um, you know, whether you believe the standards are biblical or not, the way we teach them matters. Oh, right. anyways, that, oh. great girl. Great. <laughs> so we Scare. got dozens, <laughs> we got dozens of responses. Um, and yeah, anyone who wants to, to, to turn their mic on and just, let's just banter a little bit as we go through these. Um, I, I want to hear what, what you're thinking. I want to hear if you've ever heard them. Okay, the first one, the first one, um, everybody answered this. Like, so many people answered this when I said, what's a saying that made you, you know, have this toxic shame, toxic toxic fear? What's a saying? Everyone said this one. Can, can you guess what it is? I'd rather be safe than sorry. <laughs> very, very close. And that was a popular one. Now, this one is, I'd rather make heaven by a mile than miss it by an inch. Who's heard that? yep i've heard it i've heard all it the time. all oh, the time oh yeah oh and when that's applied to an extra biblical standard what is that saying it's saying that you make heaven by standards like it's saying that you have to do all these things and if i do more i could get there better quicker right, right. and the like, more okay, standards you do yeah the more standards it's like you would have missed heaven by an inch but praise God, you took off your wedding ring, took off your necklace, started wearing skirts when you went skiing, and now you made heaven by a mile. Like, what? What? <laughs> and the implication, too, that like making it in by an inch is any less than just making it into the presence of God. Like, yeah. you know, oh, you barely made it in. Like, you could have made it in with more medals and, you know, like more honor. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you, it goes back to what you said you were reinstituting the law to like give us this 
standard of like how much qualified we are for heaven. Well, and then the argument goes from there. And this is one I always heard of. They always compared it to like the Olympics. Like you could make it into the Olympics, but wouldn't you rather win a gold medal in the Olympics? Yeah. Like, oh, you could be there or you could be more qualified. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally know what you guys are talking about, but I've also, a lot of times I'll hear it like you're going to miss heaven by an inch um but i mean either either way either way is crazy Mm -hmm. okay let's uh moving right along um this one oh this one i've heard so you do something like you start wearing a wedding ring um and someone comes to you you would have never done that a few years ago Mm. anyone heard that yep when I when I was growing up as a kid, you had to wear nylons and tights to church, like on your legs, like. And then when I became a teenager, it was well, you have to wear them on the platform, and and you don't have to wear them the rest of the time. And then like as an adult, like no one wears them at all unless it's like freezing cold outside. So it like progressively changes. So that was always mm-hmm. like my argument back was like, well, why did this rule change a couple <laughs> years ago? Why did this? Why could I used to not go bowling? Like growing up, I couldn't watch movies. But then I oh, later oh. on, and then and so you such a good point. If it said you would have never done that if you yeah, that's what I, I would always. Oh well, you would never have done that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Christian, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yes. Um, and this that's the crazy thing because it's like why why was my you know 15 year old pet like 15 year old self the the standard of holiness and yeah. now I've grown and matured by several years. And, and, but we're comparing me to my teenage self. Like, I don't even understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, anyways. Okay. Moving right along. Um, you do something, you know, change your belief on a standard. Is it worth your soul? Mm-hmm. Like, no, no. A wedding ring is not worth my soul. But mm-hmm. guess what? Yeah. It, it, it's not going to cost me my soul because Jesus saved me and not a wedding ring. <sighs> okay. So whenever whenever I, we left the church that I grew up in, I didn't get the question, is it worth your soul? I got a letter in my mailbox, hand delivered. So they came to my house. They did not want to see me face to face. So they put it in my mailbox and they did not say, is it worth your soul? They told me, I was going to lose my soul because I left that church and they didn't ask the question. They just told me you're going to lose your soul. You're going to burn in hell. Your children are going to burn in hell and their blood is going to be on your hands. So they didn't ask me the question. They just said it. Oh, and so sorry, man. I was going to, I was going to put this uh, to you next to you specifically, Tracy. And then uh, Bethany, you also have a child. Um, but that is the next one is, and I've had distressed parents, um, reach out to Brian and my heart just breaks for them. And I'm not a parent yet, but I cannot imagine. Um, but is it worth your children's souls? Mm. Whipping out every tool they can to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's a really hard one to deal with. Yeah. Because you do everything in your power for your kids. Your whole reason of questioning things and fighting through things and discovering things is for your kids. Mm-hmm. It's to give them the best chance. It's to give them the best life. And so to have someone bring that one, that one just tears me apart. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like the obvious answer is no. You know, wearing wearing pants while I'm 
climbing a ladder is not worth my children's souls, but it's also not going to cost their souls. And that's, that's but the part that's not brought that. up. You don't know that when you're first leaving those churches. Right, right. Questioning right. that stuff. Like you're, it doesn't make sense. You've been looking and you're like, that something doesn't line up here and it's not, this doesn't seem rational, but you've been told this your whole life since you were born. So you don't know that. So in that first initial transition phase, when you are hearing these things, it is very, it's, it's, it's harsh. It's just your mind mm -hmm. is constant, constant. Am I making a mistake? Is this, you know, and so you're just wrestling, you're wrestling and wrestling. And um, a lot of people go back into it, into something that makes them miserable that they do not fully understand simply because they are scared about those reasons. And I don't blame them. I get it. Like I was there. I understand that. Now getting away from it a little bit gives you perspective. And mm -hmm. so then you're able to start seeing things a little bit more clearly and yeah, but it takes a little bit of time to get there. When you're first walking out, you don't know that you don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good points. Um, and that's just reason number 6,787 that people leave the faith because they are, it's so terrifying that they're just like, oh, I hope God doesn't exist if this is what he's like. Or, I mean, they think that it's impossible. Like I've mm -hmm. tried all these years and it is impossible. I can't do it. So I may as well just have a good time while I'm here because mm -hmm. I'm going to be in hell for all of eternity. So I may as well have fun here because I cannot live that way. It's just too difficult. It's just too hard. And so they just throw up their hands and quit. Right. Yeah. I wish yeah. I thought that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then another children one, if you open the door crack, your children will swing it wide, um, which of course is equating, you know, wearing a wedding ring to adultery, you know, that's, that's what their implication is. And it's just like, those, it's not the same, not the same friend. And um, there's just enough truth and like, we understand that if we give our kids a little bit of a little bit of space on something, usually they try to push the limits a little bit. If you've had kids, you understand that. That's the nature of kids. You know, you say you can go outside, but you can only stay on the porch. And the next thing you know, they're actually standing, you know, right outside of the porch, but they're still yeah. just on the concrete area. So they're not outside, you know, like kids yeah. do those things, right? And so there's just enough truth in there for you to be worried. But what they're having you be so concerned about are things that aren't like, for instance, you know, the pants issue, you know, this isn't even, who cares if they're on the porch or off the porch or anywhere on the, like, if they're going to be off the porch wearing pants, they're probably being more modest. Like on those issues, it just doesn't even like matter if they're in or out. You know what I'm saying? There's just, right. who cares? It, and there are things that, that do, the kids do push about and they try to get their way a little bit about, but it, it, when it comes to those kinds of things, it shouldn't even be an issue at all, period. Mm -hmm. And so, there's like that just enough truth in it that you're like, oh my goodness, where are my kids are going to take, where are they going to take this? Well, where are they going to take wearing pants? Like they're going to they wear shorts to wear capris and then your grandchildren know. will wear shorts. No, I don't know. This is why you teach principles. 
If you teach modesty principles to girls, then it doesn't matter what they're wearing. They're going to try to be modest. You can be immodest in a dress, by the way. If you teach <laughs> modesty principle, then it doesn't matter what you're wearing. You'll be modest in the dress. You'll be modest in the pants. You'll be modest in the capris. <laughs> You'll be modest. The principles carry across all clothing platforms and principles are a good thing. Yeah. Principles are taught in the Bible. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought God gave us a list of rules, like super strict in the Bible, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So I've got, I got three more for you. I'm going to do these three back to back and then get some commentary. Okay. Number one, I want to live as far away from the edge as I can. Mm -hmm. Number two, every inch towards the world is an inch away from God. And three, if you walk on the edge, you're going to fall eventually. It sounds like Andrew's table example with yeah. a little glass. <laughs> They literally set that up as a, like an object lesson for us, like several times. Yeah. You know, and it would just bring us to tears because he would take it to the edge and knock the glass over. And it would just be like, look, this could be you, you know, kind of like the old PSA a couple of years ago about like, this is your, your brain on, um, on drugs. And they would like crack an egg over a skillet. It was the same kind of like object lesson tactic, you know, I don't know Terrifying. if you guys are familiar with that PSA, but. Yes. This is your brain on drugs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, this is the thing though. Again, there's just enough, like we understand that we understand that some people do want to build guardrails into their lives. They do want to create space between for whatever reason. And that's okay for individuals to decide, but there's not a biblical principle of guardrails that it's not there it well, seems right or it's like I don't there it's just it's not there I can understand people deciding within themselves okay for our family this is where we want to be but for a church mm -hmm. to decide that for you to decide it for everybody and then to add the caveat that if you aren't following that guardrail you're committing a sin you're just yeah you're moving out of guardrail territory then into 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 something else yeah we're adding to the bible to think it becomes safer the more we add instead of believing that god's word is sufficient and he knows what's best for us um and again like i can imagine yeah i, I can imagine definitely situations where we set our own guardrails and in some it to an extent, and by a guardrail, when I say guardrail, I mean something like, um, of course, the Bible says we don't have affairs. We're not going to be sexually immoral. So obviously, this is a very obvious guardrail. Um, I'm not going to, you know, stay in a hotel room with someone uh, that's, you know, that's a guy that's not my husband. Um, so some stuff like that is obvious. And then, of course, you have... Um, you have the ones that come become more and more strict in some of the churches I went to. You cannot be in the same uh, room uh, with just the male without someone else there to the degree that you couldn't both walk into the church sanctuary at the same time. 
Okay, I can understand if someone wants to make that where like we're we're not going to both walk in and get our Bibles at the same time. But then it got so restrictive that, you know, I know of situations where you get yelled at <laughs> because you both walked in to get your Bibles and you might have come through different doors. And I just remember like my heart racing as a kid and I'm like eight years old and I'm I'm just so scared because I, you know, just walked in uh, into the church at the same time. And there was somebody else in the back. And so you see what I mean? Like it, and then we start, when we start to put this on others and now, now the sin is just walking into the church at the same time. And now we've caused someone to feel like eight-year-old Natalie, um, in this situation to feel like I've sinned, I've done something wrong and I'm in trouble and God's mad at me, you know, because I went to get my Bible from the church. Um, so it just gets more and more ridiculous the more and more strict we make it and force it onto other people right. in, in particular. Um, but then it's presented as guardrails when they're preaching from messages. Like if they're right. talking in conversation and they're trying to excuse their behaviors, they say we're creating guardrails. But when they're preaching messages, they're not saying these are guardrails. They're saying right. this is sin. Like, if you don't do this, that that is how they present it, is if you don't do what we've told you to do, you're sinning. Right. They don't present it as we're, we're just doing all of this to create guardrails in our life. Mm-hmm. And just one one more quick thought before we move on. Um, if this gives these edge sayings. This gives the idea that strict standards can keep you out of immoral li- living. And I promise you, I've seen it again and again, uh, people keeping the strictest standards and falling into the most terrible sexual scandals and other kinds of financial scandals and worse. Um, And it's just like, no, that did not keep you from falling off the edge. Didn't keep you one bit. You know what keeps us? Jesus, (laughs) not standards. Man. I think that's what's interesting about standards is it assumes that we know the heart or the intention of of an individual. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like it goes to what you're saying is that um, even if you obey all the rules, we have no clue what's going on in the inside of your mind. And uh, what I've seen in my case is that people would live up to all these standards to a T, where the correct clothing, be in the right places, never attend the right, the wrong places. And yet they would still fall into sin. And there was a lot of scandals that came out of the church that I came from. Um, where we saw that clearly and we would be dismissive of that and still protect the standards because that was more important than the individual development of the person. Yeah. I'm moving on. Checklist became the most important thing. Yeah. Mm. It became the gospel. (laughs) To whom much is given, much shall be required. That is in the Bible. But of course, people misquote it out of context in order to say, if you were taught strict standards, strict standards are required of you. Um, goodness. Like, so I happen hmm. to think that standards are low hanging fruit. Anybody can stick on a long pair of sleeves and feel good about themselves because they've checked that box, right? It's a whole lot harder to deal with envy. Mm. gossip all of those kinds of things Um, so standards 
that's that's the low hanging fruit. That's the easy thing to do. It is it is a whole lot harder to deal with the internal issues and to whom much is given much is required. So let's let's get busy doing some heart work here people. Like let let's pay attention to the things that really matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um and then speaking of the heart work, um there are people who would be like, well you need to check your heart. That was <laughs> that was one people put on Instagram and just like it with the implication though, if you had your heart in the right place, you would never put on mascara. Like girl, check your heart. <laughs> that was my big struggle because I didn't understand why I was trying so hard and it wasn't clicking. Why could I not understand this? I was trying to follow all the rules. I was waiting for that understanding to get in mm-hmm. so I could understand why making my eyelashes longer was bad. Yeah. And then um, when your heart's in the right place, you'll want to live holiness. I'm sure we've heard that. And then, oh, I've got one more on that. Very similar. If you seek the Lord sincerely, mm. he'll reveal it to you, which is, Bethany, is exactly what you've been talking about. Uh, I got to tell a story. Um, I don't know if it'll make it back to the people. We'll see. We'll see. Once upon a time, a long time ago, I was sitting in a Sunday school class. Adult Sunday school. <clears throat> I'm going to stop right there. And sitting in adult Sunday school, and I was no longer holiness at this point, but I really wanted to still be friends. I really wanted to still fellowship. I would visit their churches. And I honestly, I still would to this day if if I thought I was welcome. And sometimes, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm welcome here and I want to go back and I want to see the people and I love the people. And sometimes I genuinely just miss the old traditional style in the places that I grew up, you know, um, you guys, it's possible to have pure motives and, you know, want to visit the places you grew up. But anyways, all that to say, um, I, at this point, I felt like I was welcome. And so I was in this adult Sunday school, um, but I am the only person in the whole church building that I can remember that did not follow all the standards. So it got a little awkward when someone stood up and talked about when they got saved, the Lord revealed to them, mm. went down the list. Um, of course, like no jewelry. And there I am, you know, I can't remember if I was engaged or whatnot, but I'd or purity ring, but I had some kind of ring on. And um, yeah, so that testimony was a little awkward. And then the next testimony, which is supposed to be adult Sunday school, so I guess it was just commentary. But anyways, the next one um, was, oh yes, the Lord revealed revealed the same to me. And people tell me they, they, <laughs> they prayed to the Lord with a, with a sincere heart and he didn't reveal God is not a liar. He would not tell me to do this and not tell them to do that. They did not pray. They did not have their heart in the right place. They lied. It was, it was just, it was something along those lines. I can't quote it exactly, but it was very animated. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, with my ring on going, they're calling me a liar. Like They're, they're either calling me a liar or saying, I purposely heard the Lord tell me not to wear jewelry and put that ring on anyways. And I'm just like, oh, Wow. Um, and of course, I hadn't been gone, you know, as long as I have been now. So it was, yeah, that was a lot of shame. That was a lot of shame. Um, 
but that's that it's just it was just and honestly I I love those people I do anyone who knows where that happened I love those people and they might not have even thought about me being there maybe maybe that was the part because you know I think they do that all the time (laughs) like I, I think it's just part of the church culture um and it's just it's just saturated in the culture and just yeah wow man Mm, I gotta get off of that (laughs) I could totally relate though by the way because we did something similar in our church and I think it's really interesting that in these kind of environments they to me they co-opted this idea of like devotion and love to God and the way that manifests is that I love God so much that I impose these self prohibitions upon myself and -hmm. it was always the more harsh the more restrictive it was a demonstration of how much more they love God. And, um, you know, as a, uh, as an adolescent going into your teenage years, these become like progressively more strange and arbitrary when you try to analyze against the scripture, because I would have friends that would, we'd come off of like a, a real passionate, uh, worship service, you know, like a rally night and people are like, you know, what? I'm, I'm giving up all books, I'm never, I'm not going to read anything except scripture, you know, because God gave me that, that conviction. Right. And and then it became this contest of like one upping each other. Like, well, I just, you know, the Lord uh, impressed on me to never look at a billboard again, you know, and of course, these are things you can't, you can't mitigate, you can't manage. Right. And of course they would fall back on it and it just got progressively weirder and weirder and um, something you can't keep up with. And it's not like, that God never asked for that kind of devotion, if if you could even call it that. Right. Yeah. And it absolutely is like, like you're saying, Andrew, it absolutely is the way that they believe they love God and draw closer to God. It's part of, it's baked into the theology, which is why I want to have grace, you know, with people who come from this mindset, because that's, that's their idea of loving God. And I just, but man, it's sad. And in the places it puts them in, like you're saying, uh, I'll never look at a billboard again. I could totally see, you know, a young man deciding that. And then he looks at a billboard and guess what? Now he's hit with so much shame. Doesn't matter if it was for Papa John's. Yeah. So much shame because he broke his vow to God. Right. Oof, man. It's not sustainable. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Uh, so a few others. Um, I'd rather live without it than die lost with it. The righteous only make it by the skin of their teeth because the righteous are scarcely, scarcely saved. Um, that's more not saved by standards. I I don't even know why that's quoted like that. Man, it bothers me so much. Um, oof, the gospel of standards. Man, I'm going to write a book. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he gave up everything for you and you're not willing to give up XYZ for him. Of mm. course I am. If God you know, said in the Bible, you know, you should give up whatever it is, jewelry, pants, makeup, TV, um, which, yeah, anyways, don't even really watch TV. That wouldn't be hard. But if, it, if you know, if God asked us to give this up, of course we would. But the whole point is he didn't, you know. Um, so whether or not we would give it up for him is kind of a moot point because he didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a better safe than sorry. That's really the whole underlying Bethany, do you have any thoughts on that one? <laughs> I have so many thoughts on that. That one just bugs me 
and it bugs me now as an adult and I think that's because I lived by it for so long that oh I, I don't know so and I can't figure it out so therefore I'm going to do it and now my big thing is well if you don't know the answer let's figure out the answer and maybe that's from becoming a parent and having a four-year-old who asks a million questions a day but if we don't know the answer to something we're going to go figure it out because we don't want to live without the information that we feel is so vital. So I don't want to just be safe. I number one want to know, and I want to do the best that I can. And so since my heart truly is hungry and really does want to serve God and be obedient to him, I'm going to do my best to find out what's required of me so that I'm not safe or sorry. I right. divulge the point there. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, again, I'm just going to keep repeating this. Jesus, like believing in him, the gospel. That's what we're why we're safe, not standards. Tracy. So I just want to say, let's just step back in and look at what it's saying about God when we say, I would rather be safe than sorry. We're saying that I don't want to know him. I just want to. We're saying that he's not given us what we need to know, that we have to guess right? He's not giving us good information. We've only got 66 books in the, but that is what it's saying. It's saying we don't have good information. And so we're just going to try to figure this out the best we can. This is all a mystery. And, you know, we're going to have to just do everything we can to be, to be right, because we, we, we don't want to be wrong and, but we don't know what wrong is, you know? And so we're just going to, and what it's saying about God is that he's just giving us He's started us on this journey and just giving us zero roadmap, you know, like, you know, kicking somebody out in the middle of the country and going, good luck. I hope you make it back home. Okay. Like, what is that saying about God? What is that saying about the character of God? That he's just hoping that we all figure this out. Otherwise, we're just going to burn in hell for all eternity. hundred percent. Any kind of God that we would, that is loving that would send his mm-hmm. literal son to die for you, but he won't tell you what's right and wrong. Wow. It's, it's such a wrong picture of who God is. He's given us everything that we need to know. This isn't a mystery. We're not out here without clues, just trying to figure it out, hoping that we will somehow, hopefully be safe and not sorry. Mm. The game of life, not sorry. <laughs> yes um a few more so on that say for sorry another way um that people will say it is do you really want to stray from what kept the saints of old number one okay of course number one standards standards did not keep them Uh uh-uh i keep hearing that no the standards did not keep the saints of old jesus can we just preach the gospel um and then uh the number two standards didn't keep the saints of old like how old are we talking if we're talking you know the 40s because okay you know in our community groups we study we look at where these standards come from you can look at the articles on Brian holiness um these standards are not old they're not um and so man they, wife, they go oh, ahead sorry. i was gonna say my wife and i just comment that like the origins of a lot of what we believe came from men men and women that had driver's license like it's it's like it brings it into perspective for you that it's not as like ancient and as old as they preach right 
right. unless they're standing in front of me and in a robe and Jewish garb and, you know, whatever from the time of Jesus, you, you can't throw that out to me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, are you doing, are you dressed exactly like the people in the Bible are dressed? No, right, because they're not, not the standards of old. <laughs> right. I get it. I get it. They're not following what kept the saints of old. Oh, yes. Oh. We're going to go back to the original saints. Then we need to find out. <laughs> Keep going back. That's what we need to be wearing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. These all you guys better throw them pants off and get you a big old robe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so on the traditions, did you see what happened to the other people who left the traditions? That and one so, really bothers me. So what they're doing, what they're doing is appealing to the people who left the faith as proof that their church is healthy. Hello, whenever it went, not everyone, but when most of the people who leave your church or even a significant portion of the people who leave your church leave the faith, that is not a brag. Hello. <laughs> like, but it is wrong with your church. But it is a brag because few there be that find it. Oh, oh my. Yeah, that's how oh they my. would rephrase it. Oh man, that is such a distortion that they are pushing a people away from faith away from Christ. And I feel like I can say that because I've interacted with thousands of people who have left this church, just, you know, interacted. I've talked to a probably definitely hundreds uh, of people who have left these churches. And I a hundred percent see that it's the way these churches are behaving and treating people that are pushing away from faith. And then they're using it as a brag that, well, did you see what pe happened to the people who left this church? You better stay here. Like, oh my word, that is a red flag. Get out. If they're pushing everyone away from Jesus. All right, we just have a few left. Um, whew, I have three, three left. Oh man, I'm sorry guys, I keep taking over the conversation, but I have so many thoughts. Um, <laughs> the fences keep you safe. And we've already kind of talked about this, but I have a little story in my head that I've wanted to share for like two years. I have, I would just want to like illustrate it and make it all fancy. I'm never going to get there. It's going to take a while. So I'm just going to go ahead and share it. <laughs> So once upon a time, there was a, a grandfather, and when he was young, there was a cliff on the edge of the farm, and he heard about a little schoolboy who fell over the cliff. And so um, way back in the day, they put up fences around the edge of the cliff so no more children would ever, ever get hurt or be harmed by, by falling off. So then he tells that story to the, the next generation, the, the son, and uh, which is the, the dad. So the grandfather's son, and he's like, well, you know what? If the, but it kind of gets misconstrued till just the fences are good. So the grandfather understood, but the dad is just like, the fences are good. And so then he just starts putting up fences everywhere. So there's a fence here and there's a fence there and there's a fence behind the barn and there's no cliff behind the barn. There's just a fence there because fences are good. And we put up a fence here and there and everywhere. Um, and then the, the grandchild, third generation comes along and they're just like, what are all these fences? Like, this is so confusing and I can't get around the farm and I can't do my chores and there's fence just everywhere and I'm just running into them. And, and, um, and so they start to take them down. And of course, there's all this scare, like if you take down the fences. And so they take down the fences and then nothing happens. And so eventually all the fences come down, including the ones by the cliff. Well, guess what happens to the next generation? Somebody gets hurt. So 
all that to say, and I hope it kind of makes sense where I'm going here, is that there are fences in the Bible. There are rules that God has set up and boundaries for our good. Um, you know, just the biblical sexual ethic that is for our good that God put in these boundaries. Um, but then if we just take that and just start putting up fences everywhere, it becomes so confusing. And then I see people not understanding principles, just take down all the fences. And now they've taken out the boundaries that God himself gave us in his word. And then people get hurt. So hopefully that made it makes sense. <laughs> okay. I love that analogy because I, I definitely think that perfectly encapsulates, you know, kind of where we are. Um, at least in, in the church that I grew up with, you can see and trace back the history where that starts. And, you know, you don't want to eliminate the good and healthy boundaries just because someone instituted unhealthy and bad ones or like illogical ones. Um, so, yeah, wow, well, I really like that. Yeah. So our last two, and then we're going to start wrapping up. Oh, man, I've heard these. I wouldn't want to be you on Judgment Day. How much fear and shame is in that? Wow. And second and last, uh, you're going to, oh, this was in the Holiness Handbook uh, that Nathan references a lot on the Breen Holiness website. Um, we look at it to see what, what they're arguing to understand their perspective better as we cross-examine it. And this was in there, I think, I believe is about wedding rings. Um, but if you wear a wedding ring, you might be able to justify it to me, but can you, are you going to be able to justify it to God on judgment day? <laughs> and of course, Nathan responds in the, in the jewelry article and he's like, I'm not justifying anything to God on judgment day. I'm pointing to Jesus and saying I'm with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I, I'm going to read one section of scripture on, on that Judgment Day one because I've heard it so much, and this is powerful. This is uh, 1 John four fifteen through 19. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love we love him because he first loved us wow <laughs> just mm -hmm. <laughs> wow that just wow it just <laughs> yeah it uh, it really just debunks so much of that. It, it debunks so much of that uh, that theology of that toxic fear and just living in fear and living in shame. Um, just perfect love casteth out fear. Fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. How convicting that is! Convicting. So if we are living in that a type of toxic fear. We're not made perfect in love. Something's uh, wrong. Not to add to people's fear, um, <laughs> but to just say, run to Jesus, because um, that's where the safety is. And it's because of Jesus. We we have confidence and we look forward uh, to Judgment Day because we will be with Christ. 
Um, yeah, so I'm looking at my end notes, and so much of this has already been said, but a few of these scriptures I do want to bring up, and then I, I want to hear all of your thoughts before we end. Um, but another verse, Jude 1, 24 through 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Who's him in that verse? Clue, it's not standards. <laughs> unto him, Jesus, God, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. And then also um, Ephesians 3, um, starting in 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And then Paul goes on, he's talking about how he's praying for the Ephesians. And he prays um, that God would grant them that they be strengthened with might in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, Jesus' power, not ours, not by our standards. Oh man, we were taught the standards give us power. Mm -mm. Mm. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And last um, last scripture I want to look at, and again, this is so convicting. Philippians 3, Paul is talking about glorying in the flesh. Um, and he talks about, he has to warn them, and he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If we have confidence in our standards, in our strictness, in our extra biblical rules, that is glorying in the flesh. <laughs> and uh, to, to further that point, you just read the rest of the passage. And Paul says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, he's like, you think you can boast about your um, righteous achievements? He's He says, uh, if anyone can boast, Paul could have boasted. Um, if, if any other man thinketh that he hath hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformable to his death. Mm. So it's not that the law is bad. But to trust in the law, to keep us to secure, to make us safe, to make us get into heaven by a mile, that is glorying in the flesh, and it's wrong, and it's a distortion of the gospel. And, yeah, wow, I could say a lot more, but I think I've made my point. Um, Preaching. Yeah. So I, I want to hear from you all before we um, in close the close the episode I almost said close the message out <laughs> this is not a sermon 
uh, as much as I could preach this, this is not a sermon. Um, That's an offering plate yet. So this, <laughs> you can donate to Brian Holiness. It goes to the ministry. There you go. Uh, but yeah, for real, guys, um, I love to hear just your last thoughts on all this. Um, you know, the danger of distorting the gospel and just the beauty of the true gospel. Um. Andrew, we'll we'll start with you, and then Bethany, and then Tracy. Yeah, so I think the it the be- the Bible says it beautifully. The way, the scriptures that you read, I think that is just a theme throughout the entire Bible, throughout the New Testament, of the way um, that that God's sacrifice operates in our life, right? And that it if you misunderstand that the damage it does in the way that you live for God onward is, is, is something we, we, we can't disregard. Um, and so it's not just one of these things that we can, I think at least that, that we can kind of just like, well, you're, you can levy your rules and then some can use grace, but those who elevate rules and laws and standards above the grace of God do significant damage that does worse to a person's spiritual life than it aims to do. So um, there's so much more peace in just resting in God's grace. Um, And to deny someone that is just, is a terrible thing. And, And it's not even God's intention of the gospel. 100%. 100%. And honestly, um, when I sit and think about why do people resort to fear tactics? Why do they resort to shaming? Why do they resort to these kind of um, sayings that try to get people to think their salvation is made secure through standards? Why? And I honestly, I think it comes down to not really having Bible for it. So when you don't have scripture and you don't have a good a scriptural basis for your teachings, you resort to this kind of stuff. Um, so I, you know, I want to reiterate to your audience again, if you want to follow certain um, standards, if we want to call them that, if you don't want to, you feel like it's better not to wear jewelry or not to wear makeup, there's nothing wrong with that. It really comes down to enforcing it on others. And I do... <laughs> I do have a really hard time with requiring these standards of others, period, because I think even with the best intentions, it turns into the shaming and the fear tactics. The reason why, because there's not a biblical basis. And so it like always devolves into the shaming and fear because there's not a biblical basis. And so no matter how good our intentions are, if we're teaching something that's not in the Bible, this is going to keep happening. And I think if it's not biblically based, you're uh your view of god then it is it's human based right and i know i'm mm-hmm. kind of just reiterating the point but um the day one of the dangers that i wanted to highlight of that is that we tend to imbue qualities into god that aren't that aren't described of him that aren't true of him and it, they tend to be qualities that mirror us as human beings and so religious leaders uh, that set these rules and standards and they kind of tack on new rules and they want to get even progressively stricter is really a reflection of their own hearts, right? And maybe a reflection of their 
insecurities, maybe a reflection of their pride, uh, a reflection of uh, whatever sin trait in their life that they have not addressed, and they imbue it into the character of God, which is, you know, something I would argue is idolatry. It's not a God that exists. Mm -hmm. When we're making him just, you know, in our image, like we talked about with the episode with Josh, um, Bethany, what are some of your closing thoughts? Just everything. <laughs> I will not be emotional this time. I will try. I love that you, your verse finished with the story of Paul and Saul, because he truly is one of my favorite biblical characters to read about because his story is amazing. He was born to the foremost, foremost noble Jewish family. This man was trained from birth with a ridiculously strong heritage. He knew the Torah. He knew all the Jewish laws, the requirements. He followed them to a T. He had the, if I were to put it in my own terms and in a life near mine, he'd be like a fifth generation Pentecostal born in a rage of preacher's kid on the road to have a mega church pastor and millions of followers and it and affects the world. And he gave it all up for an encounter with God who showed him all of the errors in his ways, all of the pride he was putting in himself and the things that he could do and he could accomplish. And he met a God who opened, well, closed his eyes first and then opened them to show him so much more. And it relates so much to my own story because I could have and could have been, but I had a God who showed me that I was putting too much into my own works and my own self and trying to think that I could earn my place. I could make it by the things that I was doing. And I was prideful. I was hiding a lot of really terrible things that I was doing inside because I thought no one could see them. And I, of course, as we discussed before, had my own issues with really feeling like I was worthless and of no value whatsoever. And I think even when we have the best intentions with these standards and rules, I know no one in my life meant for any of those things to be harmful for me. No one that I know of today or back then had the intention and was sitting there maniacally thinking, oh, I'm going to give her all these things that she cannot do so that she feels terrible about herself. No one wanted that. And it's so easy for them to get distorted without us even realizing it. And I think that's why it's something we have to talk about and we have to be aware of because we don't realize how much we are hurting people and we are hurting people's walk with God. With God. We want them to meet God. We want them to know God and we want them to love God because that's how it's going to happen. That's how that connection is going to be made. So I think this is a really, really important thing for us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Bethany, I completely agree with you. No one intends harm, um, you know, with maybe some exceptions. Um, but in general, no one intends harm. And honestly, I think, you know, I look back at the people in my life who used these exact sayings, by the way, um, towards me and even the people who, you know, would testify about if, if you sincerely sought the Lord, he would have convicted you. And I don't believe you, you know. If you say you didn't, even in these uh, situations, they mean well, because, and honestly, I have to think it comes back to this all being baked into their theology and truly thinking that our salvation is secure 
in standards. And because they believe our salvation is secure in standards rather than, you know, that full faith and trust in Christ, that's why they'll resort to almost anything to get you to follow them. Um, No matter how terrible they have to get you to feel about yourself um, or no matter, you know, what it takes, no matter if you're having terrible dreams at night about hell because of all the fear tactics trying to get you to stop wearing pants or, you know, um, it, it really is because they believe if they can just get you to follow these rules, you're safe and they want you to be safe. But it's just so sad because it's a distortion of the gospel. It's trusting in standards and not Christ. So with that, um, Tracy, absolutely wonderful to have you um, with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all you do as a volunteer for Berean. We are so blessed to have you as part of our team. Um, with that, you're welcome. Share your closing thoughts just on anything and everything. And then, um, yeah, if you don't mind to just pray us out when you're done and that'll conclude this episode. Um, I just want to say, uh, let's make scripture great again. I think when we get sidetracked with all of this other stuff, we totally lose sight of who God really is. We lose sight of truth. We end up implying that there is no way to even really be sure to know truth. So we're going to guess and be safe, rather be safe than sorry. You know, there is truth. We can actually know what that truth is. And I always get a little bit, I don't know, just taken aback that we're consistently in these conversations. We're actually struggling with people who say they love Jesus with all their hearts. And we're just trying to get we're just trying to to get people to live lives based on scripture and they're fighting tooth and nail against having a scriptural based life you know we can know i mean just look at all the scriptures that you just shared that so clearly tell us that our salvation is in jesus christ it's not in what not in what we do and, um, but people are fighting tooth and nail against the word of God. Um, it's always a little stunning to me when I actually step back and look at that and go, they're actually fighting against the truth of God's word. And it is truth, the truth of God's word. We can know the truth and it absolutely will set you free. And so I believe if we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we'll study his word, we're, we're not in any guessing games here. We, we can live in right relationship with God and yeah, we can live in right relationship with God and not be confused and not be concerned about, oh my goodness, am I going to miss it? If I do this, if I do that, he's given us a very clear roadmap. Yeah. Let's make scripture right again. (laughs) That's my rallying cry. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, do you mind to just go ahead and, and pray us out and just say a pray for, prayer for our listeners, too, who are just trying to understand the gospel and realizing how distorted it's been presented to them? So, Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be able to see you, to be able to see you in truth, God. Um, I pray, God, that you would 
in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Make yourself known to people, God, the people who are confused right now, wondering, you know, am I making a wrong choice if I let go of this particular belief, if I if I walk away from this church and perhaps go to another one, am I walking away from God? Uh, you're able to reveal truth. And so God, I pray that you would in ways that cannot be denied, uh, make yourself known to your people. God, we know that, that you are not withholding anything from us. We don't have to have any guessing games here. And so we pray God that you would use maybe something that's said here tonight to, um, to speak your words over your people. And we pray God, most of all, that you would deliver people from fear and help them to be able to experience the security that comes with being in right relationship with God and knowing that you're in right relationship with God. No guesswork. We know that that's real. We've experienced this. I've experienced it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you've done in my life and for what you've done in the lives of my friends here. We don't take that for granted, God. We remember. We do remember the fear. We do remember this shame. We do remember all of the struggle. And we're so grateful, God, that you've relieved us of that burden. And we know that you can do that for every single person who is going to listen to that. And we pray that you would. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode. Please consider following, subscribing, and leaving a five-star review. The Not Ashamed podcast is brought to you by Berean Holiness. We'll see you next month with another episode. But until then, check out the Berean Holiness website and social media for more content. May God richly bless you on your journey of rebuilding faith and discovering the gospel of grace.